Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about communicating in crisis. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. We back. We're back, and it's the last day of August that this yep. is airing, which means... Where did summer go? Summer's over. Where'd you go? After the slowest spring in the history of humankind, August just blew by, right? It's uh, heartbreaking, to say the least, although everyone's kind of ready for 2020 to be over, but uh, I'm not ready for the warm weather to depart and for it to get cold, which it does quickly up here in upstate New York. So Fall is my favorite uh, season, so I'm looking forward to it, but sometimes it feels like fall lasts like three weeks. You go from like That's true. 90 degrees and humid to snow in like three weeks. Yeah, we were just in Vermont on vacation and we are at towards the end of it. We were seeing a couple of trees here and there start and turn and we're like, oh, no, yeah, it's beautiful, though. It's the most beautiful time of the year up here. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But it's over so fast. And but uh, but it's coming. We had a fun summer. You mm-hmm. and I had a blast together. Oh, yeah. we, we made a lot of memories. Oh, so many. Some digital Playing yep. video games with our kids. Yep. Recording recording content like this. And others in person. A lot of lunches. Yep. Any breakfasts? I can't remember any, but... Breakfasts. Is breakfasts plural of breakfast? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you would know better than me. <laughs> well, we're excited uh, excited to be back with you guys uh, recording another podcast. And um, excited about what we're talking about today because it's pretty applicable to what we're going through. If you didn't, um, If you didn't know, we're kind of in the middle of a crisis. At least it feels like that. Um, and, uh, and we thought, you know, this podcast is about leadership. It's about discipleship. And so one of the important, um, aspects of leader leading during crisis is communicating. How mm-hmm. do we communicate in the midst of a crisis? And so, uh, this is something that you recently, David had done, um, had some conversations about and, and jotted down some thoughts on And So we thought, you know what, let's, let's hit on that. And in fact, we're yeah. going to bring a, a two parter, I believe we're going to do a two part episode on this. So we're going to talk about six things all together. Um, when it comes to communicating crisis, we'll do three in this episode, and then we'll hit three on our next episode. And uh, hopefully this is a benefit to you wherever you're leading, whatever um, crisis that you're going through. Maybe you're listening to this years from now, and it's some other crisis. But um, I think these thoughts are really helpful in shaping um, in shaping us as leaders thinking through how do I communicate in a way that's helpful and effective in the midst of uh, in the midst of craziness. Yeah, maybe it's helpful up front to clarify that crisis is not just the big stuff like a global plan- pandemic, right? Like uh, local churches, companies, businesses, teams can experience um, crisis on a much less global level, but equally destabilizing and disorienting yeah. for your team. So crisis is not just something that comes around once a lifetime in the form of a global pandemic. Crisis can be, um, for a company, financial struggles. It can be turnover in leadership. Yep. Um, in a church, uh, a crisis could be uh, related to um, you know, a tragedy, a death, maybe of a, a, a key leader or even a pastor within the church community. Uh, it can look lots of different ways. There can be natural disasters in communities from flooding and storms and the fires that we've seen recently out in California. So if you're leading, um, you're never that far away from a moment that probably qualifies as a crisis. Crisis could be as simple as you calling me up weeping because your daughter's going on her first date. And I've got to think through these principles on how to communicate to you yeah. in a way that helps you. 
I don't know when that won't happen for a long, long time. But yeah, <laughs> all right, that well, will be that will be a crisis. That yeah. will be a crisis. God forbid. Yeah, she's she's a preteen now, so I know we're she, on her she way. She had her first youth group service last night. Wow. I know. Wow. I sat in the parking lot the whole time weeping. <laughs> That's half true. I believe it. All right. So hey, we want to share three thoughts with you in this episode. We'll do three in the next one about communicating in crisis. And the mm-hmm. first thought we're going to talk about is communicate more than normal communicate more than normal. Dave, dive into this a little bit with us. Yeah, I, um, so communication is one of my strengths, I believe, you know, I've taken strength finders and, and it's a gift that God has given me. Um, and so I like to communicate and I like to prioritize communicating, but during COVID and when we had a lockdown and closed the church and everybody's basically shut up in their homes, uh, I felt this instinct that, I needed to step up my communication in frequency, so more often. And so our board or our elders, whatever you want to call them, normally meet, I would say, once every six weeks or so. Um, We met every single week um, on Zoom. Uh, I recorded weekly videos that we sent out to the church family just updating. I didn't even always have something significant to say as far as new information, but there always was something I could say as far as just speaking to people's hearts or just kind of um, reassuring them of certain things. But it just I realized it was important, maybe not to everybody, but to some people just to see my face and hear my voice in the form of a video more so than like a written email or whatever. And just to see like the, to be able to see the expression on my face when I say things, the tone with which I was saying things. But I really decided intentionally, well, initially instinctively, but then intentionally, I'm going to I'm gonna ramp it up. Because in crisis, um, information is a lifeline for people, right? Mm. And people seeing, just being able to hear your voice, see that you're okay, that, that you're still leading, that you're thinking about the things they're thinking about, that you're working on the things that they're concerned about. It goes a long way. And so I think that is the number one lesson in crisis. Don't communicate less. Some people might tend to withdraw, and and we'll talk a little bit more about this, um, I think, later. But they will tend to withdraw and just kind of buck, um, huddle up, you know, and just, like, try to solve the issues at hand. And that's great. You need to solve the issues at hand or at least diagnose the problems. But you have to keep yourself out there as well. So... Help me walk through a little bit in your mind, because you said it was instinctive, then it became intentional. Um, what was your sense of what people who are going through crisis are feeling so that you felt, I need to communicate more often? Like, why is communicating more often helpful to them? What are what was your sense of what they were, maybe what their fears were, what their anxieties were, what they were struggling with that you thought, if I communicate more than normal, this is going to be a benefit to them? I think people like to feel like the, um, like they're in the know, you know, and so just that little access point, um, I think any sense of stability. So the fact that not only was I communicating weekly, but I was communicating on the same day of the week, right? Yeah. And I recorded myself basically seated in the same place every week, just little things like that, anything to bring consistency and stability to people's lives in a season where that's all going sideways. Um, and I, I, I find myself wanting to lean into future points, so I'm kind of pulling back. But even what we communicated then um, and the tone with which I communicated things um, was significant, you know. So I wouldn't just – the other thing I would say is 
I wouldn't just send out a video and say, watch this. There usually was some sort of email text that went along with the video to kind of let people know, here's what I'm talking about. Here's why this is important. Here's why this matters. But I just committed myself to doing that. And by the way, the, the views on those videos were significantly up from normal videos that would be sent out. Partly because, I mean, candidly, people are sitting at home, right? And they got time to watch videos now that maybe they didn't before. But also because people really want to know what's going on in, and what is our leadership doing about it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, and you, and you touched on this, is when people are in crisis, there's a lot of fear from the unknown. And so when you communicate more than normal, what you're saying is a couple of things. You're saying, like, I'm aware that you're going through this and I'm thinking about you. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, when you coupled an email with a video that maybe outlined some next steps or things, it it communicates we're, we're taking a lot of time to think through this. Like this matters to us just like it matters to you. Um, that's what you're saying to them. So someone who is feeling a lot of fear and anxiety about we don't know what's happening when they get that regular, more often communication with detail. And, and it's obvious that you've put a lot of thoughts into it. I think that is comforting to them, which is, which is really important. So set aside the actual information they're getting, just the idea that their leader is thinking about them a lot and thinking about the crisis a lot, I think is comforting to someone that's going through it. Yeah. There's no doubt in crisis, people want to hear from their leaders, right? And I think this is counterintuitive, but a leader needs to make themselves actually more accessible in crisis and not less. And I think there's the tendency maybe to become, to sort of um, tighten up your circle and withdraw a little bit for the purpose of reflection and analysis and diagnosis and all that, and strategy and and all that sort of stuff needs to happen, including self-care. But I think you need to become actually more accessible to the people you're leading during leadership and not less so that they are hearing you, seeing you, getting a sense of how you're doing and as a leader, when everyone else is losing their head, you need to communicate that you haven't lost yours, yeah. right? And so I think that's a big part of communicating um, more than normal. Yeah. All right. So the first um, the first kind of principle of communicating crisis is communicate more than normal. The second one is communicate intentionally. Communicate intentionally. So help us uh, dive into this a little bit, David. What do you mean when we talk about communicating intentionally? Well, I think in crisis, you have to be really careful with your language, right? Um, and language is something I, I pay a lot of attention to. You know, I like wordsmithing things. I, I like, if I wasn't a pastor, one of the things I always thought I might like to do is be in like advertisement because I love like trying to think up slogans and just creative ways, compelling ways to write things. And I have obviously some uh, experience with writing. So I, I think a lot about language. But I think if you're lackadaisical, sloppy, you don't pay attention to your language, there's certain words that can cause people to read into what you're saying, right? Um, For lack of a better word, kind of trigger people into either um, assuming that you mean this when you don't mean that. And so um, super careful with, with our language and everything, you know, so even in the midst of this COVID crisis, when, especially when it became like politically charged uh, just being careful about the terms that you're using, the words that you're using, and and trying to speak in a way that is helpful, clear, um, but not v- so vague that it's open to lots of different interpretation and misunderstanding. Yeah, and this is a challenge. Um, and, I, and you're you're really good at this, and I know you're really intentional and thoughtful of this because in most, if not all, maybe not all, but most leadership settings. 
your audience per se that you're leading or the group of people you're leading is probably going to be diverse in their perspectives. And so in the middle of crisis, you've got to really think through what are the different opinions that are out there? What are the different perspectives that are out there? And it doesn't have to be COVID or it doesn't have to be what we're going through in our country. It could be any crisis. People are going to have different ways of thinking about what you're going through. And you have to do the work of anticipating that. And I think that that's challenging if you're some people, it's more challenging than others because we have strong personal convictions Mm -hmm. or how we feel about something. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, it's easy to assume everybody else feels the same way. And if we're not surrounded by people that think differently, believe differently, talk differently than us, we can kind of get out of touch. So, um, so I'd be interested to hear from you, like in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of any crisis, how do you, is there an intentional way or is it kind of intuitive for you? How do you become more aware of the different feelings and perspectives that are out there so that you can be more intentional on the language you choose and the words that you pick? Well, I just listen. You know, I just pay attention. I, I, I see what people are posting and writing on social media. I read articles. I, I, I try to figure out where the tension points lie on certain things, where the great fear and concern is, where the anxiety is coming from, and just pay attention to even the way that the media or politicians use language to move in and manipulate people in some cases, right? And so I think I'm just kind of a student of that, so I pay attention to that. But, you know, also one of the things that then helps me turn around and make sure my language is clear and communicates exactly what I want to say is, is uh, for some of you, 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 you would do, it would be good for you to write out your communication before you say it. Like, force yourself to look at it on paper, read through it, find a trusted friend, maybe someone else on your leadership team who can read through it and say, hey, look, read this through for me and just underline anything that you think isn't like ultra clear or circle anything that you think is definitely open to misinterpretation or highlight any phrase that you think is politically loaded right now that I shouldn't use. And it's not... I, I guess people could feel differently about this. I don't think it's cowardness. I don't think it's or cowardice. I don't think it's um, you know not having an opinion. I think in crisis you don't need to throw gasoline on fire, right? You you need to say what needs to be said, but you need to say it in a way that has the vast majority of the people who read it or watch it or listen to it leave going, okay, that that helps me as opposed to um, that fires me up, you know. Um, in one direction or the other. And so I've kind of, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of, um, just wordsmithing things so that they can be heard in a way that's helpful, not harmful. Is there a, like, as you think through, is there a way, um, as leaders to check ourselves or how do we decide what, what is a personal conviction versus what is, um, what is health based for our organization or our church or whatever we're leading, you know, like, I think that's a challenge, right? As as I'm as I'm in the midst of a crisis with people I'm leading, how do I decipher what is my personal conviction? Like th- I feel really passionate about this, but that's simply a personal conviction. That's not necessarily an organizational health issue or what. So how do we navigate that? And then because I I think it's really tempting and easy to be flippant with our language and say stuff that's a little more in line or geared towards our personal conviction because we feel it passionately, strongly, and sometimes it's hard to navigate. Like which is which and where do I draw the line? Because we do feel passionate about it. It's almost like this righteous indignation that this this is a health issue. It's not just my personal issue. So is there, like, have you found, is there some way that you... Yeah. 
Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit in the next um, episode, but I think one of the principles about communicating is to make sure we don't lose sight of the organization or the church or the company's vision, mission, and values, right? Yeah. So those are predetermined hills to die on. And so for me, like one of our values at Trinity is the gospel. So if there is somebody who is in some way, um, if there's a crisis around a false gospel, then I wouldn't be kind of dancing around it. I would be going after it, right? Um, one of our values is community and being a place where people can belong before they believe and serving our broader community. So those are things that we've kind of predetermined, like these are non-negotiables. We're committed to this completely. Where I think you got to look out for personal convictions is this. For me, this is one telltale sign. When there's people that I think I that I think genuinely love Jesus, are committed to his mission, and are doing the best they can to serve him, and th- and they're on different sides of the same issue, then I I need to ask myself, or I need to think twice about trying to die on that hill. Yeah. Right. So yeah. when I read, you know, um, you know, let's just say for example, I'm just going to pick two names who are typically on the same side of an issue. But uh, let's say like Tim Keller is on one side of an issue and then you have, oh geez, everybody comes to mind now, might be on a different side of his the issue than him. But, you know, Matt Chandler, John Piper, but even Piper and Keller are different on certain things. And sorry if those names don't mean anything to you when you're listening. But basically when you have two people that you respect and you know have given legitimate thought and, and are bringing their heart to this and their mind to this and doing the best they can to make sense of it and they don't align then I don't feel like I got to fight. I don't got to die on that hill. doesn't mean I don't have to have opinion. doesn't mean that I wouldn't ever share my thoughts in specific environments, yeah. but I'm not going to create division on that as a leader. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be intentional with my language to create a big enough, you know, spread my arms wide enough for both of those, that full spectrum of interpretation of whether it's a doctrinal issue, whether it's a cultural issue, whether it's an event happening in society, uh, I'm trying to, but, but to, another way of answering your question is just to honestly say, we can't ever get away from our own biases and bents, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to see everything through the lens of everything I've experienced up until that moment. I can't get away from it. Uh, but I can maybe with some emotional intelligence and self-awareness, um, handle it better. Yeah. I like that. Two thoughts I had was number one, have relationships with people that think differently. Cause yeah. that's for me, that's so helpful. Like you said, you can feel really strongly about an issue a particular way, and then, but if you have a good friend who you love and respect who feels differently, it opens your eyes up. Like at one time seems so one-sided, the other, it's so nonsensical to believe different than I do, and then you have someone you love that does think that way, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe there is more to this. So if you, you need to have diverse friendships, mm-hmm. and when I say diverse, I mean diverse in thought and opinion, because that's really helpful. Um, and then... Um, I think the other thing when it comes to choosing languages, um, you kind of reference this, but don't sacrifice your your principles, or another way it would be your core values, mm-hmm. um, to communicate. So if you're if you're trying to communicate something you think is a truth, but in doing that you're sacrificing a core value. Like for a church leader, like we're we're here to love people. So if in my language, if in my communication intentionally, it's not also encapsulating those things, then I'm probably stepping outside of where I need to step. And so I think those are, those are important as well. Yeah, I agree. All right. So number one, we had communicate more than normal. Number two, communicate intentionally. And number three, we want to talk about communicating with strength, communicate with strength. Yeah. 
or communicating from a place of strength. And I and I think I mentioned earlier that leaders keep their heads when everyone else is losing them. And actually, there's a there's a scripture verse, and I forget if it's First or Second Timothy, where the Apostle Paul is coaching his young uh, pastor Timothy, who's in a church where there's lots of challenges, and he says to him, "Keep your head," you know. And a lot if, like you and I have said that to you many times. <laughs> After you're frustrated after yes. a Sunday sermon, yes, you're like no one listens. Don't give I'm, up. Keep Don't your head, quit. man. Keep yep. your head. Yeah. Um, but I think in crisis, and, and and this is a weird place to pause on on the third point because the fourth point actually kind of balances it out. So you're gonna have to come back and listen to the next episode. It's called a teaser. Yeah, to kind of see how like well, I'll just say what it is so you can anticipate the tension. This third lesson of communication crisis is communicate from a place of strength point four is communicate from a place of weakness. So you, you'll see in the next episode how these two kind of have to be held together. But communicating from a place of strength is, you know, Andy Stanley, not Andy Stanley, Andy Crouch wrote a leadership book called Strong and Weak. And in it, he talks about vulnerability and how in a lot of ways our society now appreciates vulnerable, transparent leaders. And that's important. We'll talk more about that next week or in two weeks. Um, but he also says there's a point at which you're, your level of vulnerability damages the people you're leading because as a leader, you're meant to carry certain things that they aren't supposed to be carrying. That is, in some cases, what it means to be a leader. And so what he says, and what I remember him saying in the book, is that when you start when you start becoming vulnerable or transparent to the level where they're now carrying the weight of something that they can't actually do anything about, it does damage to the organization, to the morale, to the people. And so I think one of the examples he uses in the book is like the president of the United States every morning gets this briefing about the scariest things that are happening around the world, stuff you and I don't want to know about. Yeah, Trump, right. he usually texts me about it, so I've seen some <laughs> he of it. He tweets you about it. <laughs> um, but if, um, if, if, if the president were then to call a press conference and say, I just want to update everybody on everything I just heard this morning about the significant national security threats that we're tracking around the world, we we couldn't function. We yeah. wouldn't be able to go to work. We wouldn't leave our homes. We wouldn't, right? And so that's an extreme example, but it's a good example because it drives home the point that leaders know how to lead with strength in crisis in, in, in such a way that it instills confidence into those that they're leading. So it's not a arrogance. It's not a false confidence. It's a, I'm going to, as the leader, communicate from a place of strength. And one of the things I learned, especially during COVID and even the reopening of our church, is communicating from a place of strength means that you remain verbally confident about the future, right? The ultimate outcome without being overly, um, uh, what's, how do I want to say this? Without being overly certain or guaranteeing too much about the present, right? So, so much was changing. So I couldn't say like, hey, in two weeks, this is what we're going to, we didn't know. But what I could say is we're going to get through this. And when we get through this, it's, we're going to be together again. And it's going to be so good to be together. And as soon as it's safe for us to reopen, we're going to reopen. That's all, you know, but I wasn't going to say, hey, I think we're going, you know, until I knew I wasn't, conf- I wasn't putting my confidence in the details. I was putting my confidence in the direction. Right. Yeah. Here's where we're headed. We're gonna get there together. Stay with us. We're headed in the right direction. As we know what we as as we know stuff that you need to know, you're gonna know it. Right. So it's all confident communication, but it's not a false confidence. It's like I promise you that in three weeks, no matter what you know, the president or the governor or the CDC says, we're gonna do that. None of that. 
Right. Because well, see that, that. that's a little short sighted too, right? Because if three weeks comes and that doesn't happen, now you've blown your ability to be a confident leader because now no one can trust you. So you right. ruin trust. So yes. So you've got to speak confidently, but in a way that you can actually back it up. Otherwise, you destroy your future ability to, to be considered a confident leader. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to identify the things in crisis that have stayed the same, that are dependable, that are timeless, and and use those as your really your, your place from which you communicate strength. So um, as a church, you know, as a religious organization that places our faith and trust in God, we were able to communicate our confidence that God is still at work in our lives and in our church and in our city and in our country, that no matter what we see and what's happening, we know that Jesus is building the church. Um, and being able to communicate even things like, no matter what happens, if we can gather, if we can't gather, we're, he- we're committed to being here for you. We're available right. to pray with you. Uh, we promise you that our leadership is working hard yeah. to move us towards a reopening or to help us understand better this season. So it's commun- it's not so much, again, it's not promising specific results until you, until you know you have them to offer. And it's not even building a lot of confidence in the details of a plan. It's just sort of like, hey, we're leaders. We're, we're, we're working on this. We're going to get there together. You know, you, yeah. can, you can trust that. I think that's so important because in the midst of crisis, there's a lot of emotion tagged in. And when people feel emotional and they, I think people look to a leader, they consider that leader to have some a level of expertise mm-hmm. where they trust. So it's like, I was thinking about this analogy, you know, when I, when my furnace goes down and I have a, a repairman come I trust his leadership and guidance, and I ask, I say, what's going on with this? I want there to be a level of confidence in him. I don't want, it, I don't want him to lie to me, but I also don't want him to be like, oh man, ooh, I have, I have no. Do you have any ideas? Like, do you have any <laughs> thoughts? Like, that's the worst thing you can yeah. do for me, right? Yeah. In that moment, I want you, even if I have to replace it, I want you to say, here's what I can tell you. We're going to be here alongside to help you. Here's what you need. Here's yep. what's going to happen. And and I think in any level of leadership, this is true. Like. It could be a crisis as simple. It could be something like you you having to talk to your kids about the fact that you're losing your job. Mm. And how do you communicate to that to them? Well, don't make false promises, but you can say, no matter what, daddy, mom, you're going to do whatever we need yeah. to do for this family. We're here. We're going to support you guys. We're going to we're going to get through this. Like that's the type of strength that is needed in those crisis moments of high emotion and, mm-hmm. and, um, and high fear. Yeah, I think even when my when my father received a diagnosis of stage four cancer, talking to my girls about it, I mean, it's a great illustration for this tension of communicating from a place of strength and a place of weakness. Like, they saw how it affected me emotionally. Like, I wasn't a robot, and I didn't protect them from the them seeing the pain of that I was experiencing. Yeah. But at the same time, I tried to provide a stabilizing leadership voice in their life of saying, listen, you know, we're going to, we're going to be together. What, you know, you know, we're going to trust God. Um, whatever happens, you know, um, we know that we're going to be together again. You know, we're just trying to like communicate from a place, even if sometimes, and this is a, a, a key point, sometimes you don't feel the strength, right? Right. Like you not you don't actually feel very strong, and I'm again I'm not talking about being a hypocrite or being something you're not, but I'm talking about the task and responsibility and the weight of leadership. That if you just melt into a puddle in crisis in front of everybody that you're leading, I'm not saying there's never a time for that, but if that's your go-to, 
leadership move in crisis, eventually people are going to go, who's going to get us there? Like, right. who's leading us through this? If, if, if he or she has lost every lost her head or his head or emotions or whatever, and again, that can happen at times, but if it's always what's happened, then how do you... How do you get? How do you instill some sense of this crisis isn't going to define us? It's not going to destroy us. It's real, but it's not forever, right? That yeah. sort of language. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're right on. I love that. And here's the reality: not everyone is made for leadership, but if you are, and, and you probably are, if you're listening to this, these are the moments that are needed for leaders to step up. So, j- like you said, just because you may not feel it in yourself, guess what? That's the moment for you to step up and say. I may not feel this right now, but I know this is the direction. I know this is what's needed for us to move forward as a church or an organization or my family or whatever. And um, and I think that's what it means to be a leader is to step up in those in those key moments. So yeah, I agree. Well, hey, that's a good transition. Uh, we talked about leading from a place of strength, and we're actually going to um, look at the counter side of that, leading from a place of weakness in our next episode. So if you uh, missed those three points, we talked about communicating more than normal. Number two, communicating intentionally. And thirdly, communicating from a place of strength. Uh, tune into the next podcast. We'll do the last three. Before we, uh, before we end, though, we know most of you are here only to listen to this portion of the podcast, which is a little portion we like to call David's Eats, mm. where we not only invest in making better leaders, but also better eaters. And so, David, tell us what's the best thing you've eaten all week. Yeah, well, my family got away for a few nights to Atlantic City, New Jersey, and we were, uh, our my friend, the pastor in the area, Tom Wood, recommended that we hit up White House Sub Shop. White House Sub Shop. White House Sub Shop. Wait, are you confused with Subway Sub Shop? <laughs> no one after eating White House Sub Shop would be confused with Subway. Okay. White House Sub Shop, um, it's just a little dive down near the casinos, and they make these huge sandwiches. And the ingredients are great. We did a um, we did a cheesesteak sandwich at their recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I've had cheesesteak sandwiches. You've been with me many times mm-hmm. at all of the Philly locations, and this this stood up. You know, it was it was good. I got provolone and American cheese on on steak um, with some fried onions. Nice. And then, but they also have this like I think it's called actually the White House Sub Special or something. Bobby Flay recommends it. It's just a ton of Italian meats and cheeses and like spicy peppers. Yeah, baby. Like a, like a spicy pepper relish type thing. They're bread though. That's what it was. Like yeah. now, I was also in the midst of a no carb kick, and it was my one carb. So you meal. were going wow. So my wife later told me she's like, "I think you were loving the bread because you, <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you were, haven't had it. You hadn't had it in so long." But uh, yeah, if you're ever in Atlantic City, White House Sub Shop. We got some good seafood down there too. But uh, I love those subs. All right, White House Sub Shop. Check it out, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Hey, if you're a fan of the Multiply podcast and are interested in youth ministry, check out our brand new resource called Better Student Ministry. We release a podcast and a training video every other week. You can search us on YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts under Better Student Ministry.